welcome to a very special episode of the Grizzden Pod. Um, we're not even going to call this necessarily an episode. Um, I've got Brantley Davidson on the phone. Brantley, what's up? Let's go. So what we're going to do, there are going to be times like this one where we are going to deviate from our normal schedule and we are going to get you um, opinions and content on things that are uh, too good not to talk about on the day of or the day after. And so we're going to call these types of episodes Letting It Fly because we are semi-prepared, but um, we want to give you guys, we've got opinions and we want to give them to you. And so, yeah, welcome to the very first ever Letting It Fly. Um, This is the Andre Iguodala social media um, just craziness edition of Letting It Fly. And so what we're going to do real quick is I'm going to take you through the Andre Iguodala-Memphis Grizzlies relationship from day one. I'm going to talk about all the important things that have happened to get us up to the point that we are right now. We're taping this Tuesday night, February 4th at 8.24 p.m. So if anything happens uh, between now and when you're listening to this podcast, uh, it'll be news to us as well. So that's why we're not talking about it. But let's go. Let's start from the beginning, Brantley. July, July 6th. It actually starts, the beginning starts a day before Iguodala signs with Memphis. July 6th. The Grizzlies trade Mike Conley to the Utah Jazz for Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, and a 2020 first-round pick. Now, the important thing about this trade is that it created uh, a trade exception for the Grizzlies, which meant we could take back um, a certain amount of salary and wouldn't have to match it in a trade. Um, Or we could take on a player just by themselves in this in this situation, the next day, the Grizzlies traded Julian Washburn, shout out, to <laughs> the Golden State Warriors for Andre Iguodala, $2 million in cash, and a 2024 first-round pick. The reason why the Golden State Warriors wanted to trade Andre Iguodala is because they were in the middle of a huge deal that sent Kevin Durant in a sign-and-trade to the Brooklyn Nets for D'Angelo Russell in order to bring back D'Angelo Russell um, at the number that he was now making on his new sign-and-trade deal, they had to shed a certain amount of salary. And Andre Iguodala fit the salary that they, they needed to shed, which is why Memphis, who had this room and the trade exception, uh, were happy to take Iguodala off of the Warriors' hands uh, with a first-round pick attached. So, and I think can I if can I say something really quickly? Absolutely. I think that's a really awesome point that I'd forgotten about because if you think about what's happening currently in sort of the whole trade de- deadline thing with rumors about D'Angelo Russell and where he goes and sort of what the Warriors are trying to do, this is a very strategic move for that franchise and thinking through a how do we move Kevin Durant and get something from him and getting a perennial All Star back in return who's you know low twenties. Um, to to either add um, to um, you know Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and that sort of dynamic um, you know kind of team moving forward, or um, use him in other trade you know kind of trade deals um, as being rumored you know 
uh, thus far. So that's just a really cool thing to consider as you're sort of thinking like the holistic landscape of what the front, the front office did with this uh, trade exception that we'll just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a few months later where there was some debate over what Iguadala, what role he was going to play on the Grizzlies. Um, so basically there were three possibilities when Iggy got traded to the Grizzlies. Number one, Iguodala could report to the team and he could play. Um, number two, uh, they could the Grizzlies and Andre Iguodala could negotiate a buyout that would basically make Iguodala a free agent and it would allow him to sign somewhere else. So in that scenario, Memphis would be paying him his full salary, which makes him a free agent. So that that cap, that $17 million would still show up on our salary cap this year. Uh, we couldn't spend that on anybody else, but then Andre Godalo could go out and sign with any team he wanted, um, sort of like if he wanted to uh, join the Lakers for the veteran minimum, he could do that. Um, but the third option would be the Grizzlies could keep Iguodala on their roster while searching for a trade and try and basically get more assets um, for him. And keep in mind, guys, like, the Grizzlies had already won this trade on day one. They got a first-round pick only for uh, taking on a guy who um, may or may not have been in their their uh, plans for that year. Um, but they had so they had anything anything past what we had already gotten for Andre Iguodala is gravy. So um, we're in a great position no matter what happens. Um, but on September 9th, 2019, as this debate was going on, Shams uh, tweeted out, Sources, Memphis wants three-time champion Andre Iguodala to report to training camp and is refusing right now to engage in a buyout, which would prevent Iguodala from finishing a Hall of Fame career on his terms because this may be his final NBA season. Um, Hilarious. Can we mark that to come back in our discussion? Yes, please. Um, yeah. Reread that tweet. It's very important. It is. It's very important that this is not. This is not like a a news report. This is a very. This this has a lot behind it. Here's the tweet. Memphis wants three time champion Andre Iguodala to report to training camp and is refusing right now to engage in buy, in a buyout, which would prevent Iguodala from finishing a Hall of Fame career on his terms because <laughs> this may be his final <laughs> NBA season. Um. Then. Uh, Iguodala went on, uh, he talked to NBC Sports Bay, Bay Area, um, the news outlet on September 23rd, um, and he told the story about how he um, was talking to his wife and joking about landing somewhere in a trade um, and said, we'll probably end up in Memphis or some bleep, um, which obviously did not make many Memphians very happy. Um, it ended up that the team and Iggy came to an agreement the night before training camp that uh, he would that we would not require him to report uh, to training camp that he could do whatever he was doing out in California training playing golf um, and we would in the meantime try and find a trade for him and uh, it was pretty obvious that we weren't going to get a trade uh, done until after. December 15th, because on December 15th, a lot of the 
uh, free agents who were signed in the summertime become available for trades. Until then, you can't. There is a, a large portion portion of the league that isn't able to be traded. So he knew going in that this was going to be the plan. They had agreed. Um, as far as we know, that agreement is still in place. Um, that hasn't changed at all. Um, on January 24th, 2020, Andre Godala uh, was on NBA Countdown. He also appeared on uh, places like The Jump, uh, basically making it known without saying it, without saying it, that he is uh, ready and basically playing himself sort of as a victim to circumstance. Um, that he wants to be on certain, you know, a contender. Um, he's uh, Im- implying sort of that this is a hostage situation. Um, all the while, the, the, the arrangement that he agreed to with the Grizzlies hadn't changed. Now, with all that said, we get to last night. So last night after the win over the Detroit Pistons, uh, Jeff Calkins was in the locker room. He was talking to Dylan Brooks. Um, since this is trade week, uh, the trade deadline is on Thursday. Uh, Jeff asked Dylan about Andre Iguodala just in general. Uh, and this is a, the exact quote from Dylan. The first time I've seen him was on TV talking about us, he said. It doesn't even matter. Andre Iguodala is a great player. I feel like he's doing the right thing for his career. We don't really care. And then Jeff said again, okay, but has the Iguodala situation been a distraction? And Brooks said, it's not a distraction at all. I laugh at that type of stuff. A guy that's on our team that doesn't want to be on our team. I can't wait until we find a way to trade him so that we can play him and show him what Memphis, what what really Memphis is about. Um, so the very hmm. last part of that statement was clipped and put in a tweet and it said uh, the exact tweet that I have right here that Ja Morant ended up quote tweeting was from Mark Giannato said Dylan Brooks on Andre Iguodala quote I can't wait till we find a way to trade him so we can play him and show him really what Memphis is about now if you just read that out of context it sounds uh, pretty contentious uh, like Dylan had some sort of uh, um I don't know what the word is, but basically he was sort of taking a dig uh, at Iguodala. And, um, like it was almost something that had been maybe just really festering with yeah, him, um, yeah, in the totally. team for a long time, which maybe it was the case, but when you read the full quote, that doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. Right, and so then John Morant quote tweeted it with the emoji of uh, basically like a head and talking. It's hard to describe, actually, with words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... Um, that set the internet on fire. Um, after that, uh, things blew up. Basically, the headlines were Young Grizz um, uh, just dis- not not on Andre Iguodala's team. You know, just basically uh, the Young Grizz are out to get Iguodala. Um, and Steph mm-hmm. Curry actually came uh, out on Instagram and, and posted a picture of of Iggy with the championship trophy and had the emoji that was basically uh, like the finger over the mouth, like basically stop talking. And then Ja replied on Twitter with a picture of Kevin Durant and the shrug emoji. Um, so <laughs> this it just it just got to basically a point where um, 
the social media scrum took over as the story, and somehow it has uh, the 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 facts of this whole situation and the social media uh, activity became one thing. Um, not to say there aren't some sort of uh, there's not there are there is some connective tissue there. Um, but we want to unpack it a little bit. So, Brantley, with all that said, that long-winded explanation of everything that happened, <laughs> what what were your immediate thoughts today with everything going on? Uh, I think I probably reacted like most uh, fans, meaning when I woke up um, and started just reading the Twitter content, I sort of went to bed really soon after we beat the Pistons and, and saw um, sort of JV's post-game talk, um, which is a whole separate thing that really made me excited um, just hearing him talk uh, just about this team, you know, sort of in, in quick one-off comments. But, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, man, it just was a super surprise, wasn't expecting it at all. And I don't know if we want to get into just sort of all of that stuff right now, but it really did sort of prompt me into just sort of maybe taking a step back and, and just thinking through what this team means for the city and for the franchise as a whole. Um, and sort of this sort of in what's happening as kind of a representation of it. Yeah. I think there was a lot of Memphis pride um, that came out of this. And even if it wasn't intended, Dylan Brooks has certainly stolen a lot of hearts in Memphis. Uh, as frustrating as he can be, uh, quotes like this are what really, uh, really make you an endearing figure in a place like Memphis. Uh, because there's this us versus them mentality here. And what a great uh, example and illustration of a of an us versus them <laughs> with you have the, the young Grizz just grinding out a win last night that was just in the mud against Detroit. And then you have Andre Iguodala out in California complaining about his situation, playing golf, making, he's the highest paid player on our roster. Um, even <laughs> if it was a little bit out of context, there was definitely some pride flowing out of Memphis yeah, and I think, you know, this was certainly, I think uh, within kind of that context, this was this was Dylan's moment in, in a bit. You know, I mean, he had a great game. Um, it was one that we were sort of just watching to see from an efficiency standpoint and, and how much he could score, if it would be one to um, sort of propel him into this different kind of category um, of, of watching his stats like we talked about on our last episode. But... I think one of the things that, you know, if we really just want to get into it before we maybe go through the rest um, or, or, you know, you tell me if you want, you want me to save it for later, Will, we're sort of letting it fly here. Um, but I do think that there's some, there's a lot on this whole fandom Memphis pride thing that we may want to unpack if, if we sort of at least maybe understand some other things in context and different opinions, particularly around Iggy and sort of all of those sorts of things that maybe are a little bit less interesting um, uh, other than kind of those components. Let's, let's save that for the very end. Um, okay. and, and let's, let's quickly analyze from, from like what basically what we're going to do now is, is see what, what does today change about the situation? Um, 
and we're going to go through sort of each of the stakeholders here. Um, I want to start with the front office. Is there anything about today that is going to change ultimately what happens on the trade deadline? Um, I would venture to say probably not. Um, the reason being is the the main the the crux of the issue here um, is what it has been for the last two months. That the issue did not change because of what happened on social media today. The issue is Andre Godala has designated um, in conversations, uh, probably through his agent with the franchise, that he has a few teams to two in particular that people are speculating, the two Los Angeles teams, that he wants to be traded to um, or, at the very least, be bought out and able to sign with these two teams. Um, However, um, in order to get him out of Memphis, the front office is, uh, while they're doing their best to um, probably try and and engineer trades with those contenders, they also are obviously going to be in a better position to get him out of Memphis if he gives uh, the option of flexibility, uh, which right now he is not. So that is the issue, is that he wants to go to two teams, and the front office is probably in good good faith trying to negotiate a deal with those teams, yet um, it is a lot easier to find a trade when you have 29 teams to mm-hmm. trade with rather than two. Yeah, I think one of the, if we're looking at this from the angle of the front office, it, it you know it's sort of hard to maybe put it into perspective without the other side. You know, this kind of negotiation table that's happening. Like we're as fans and social followers, sort of just receiving the kind of um, the, the the public negotiation, if you will, just sort of the things to create this PR storm um, that may help push one side in a direction um, that, uh, you know, that, that's used for leverage. And I think what's happening um, to me, is it, it seems, and this is, you know, stuff that you, if you listen to Chris Harrington or, or, or Verno um, or, or even just the way that, you know, other journalists are asking questions and sort of reporting on the way that the front office um, is, is approaching this deal is they're, they're being very firm and saying what they're going to do and not do. Um, and as well as they should, you know, the way to get a trade for Iguodala would be to say that they're not going to buy him out. So um, that's obviously Iggy would prefer a buyout, right? Um, he would like to be able to go wherever he wants. And if he's to get traded, then that prevents him from going where he wants. And the front office is basically saying, like, we, we're going to get the most out of this deal that we can because that's the best for our business, right? Let's just look at it completely um, in that light, we have the shoot salary. We've been paying this guy this year. Let's just, you know, say it's, it's halfway through the year. So he's on a $17.2 million salary contract for this year. In a sense, our, our front office is saying we've paid a 9 million thus far. Right. We want to, we want to get picks and another player for that's, that's what that was worth us paying this guy's salary. who wasn't even here. So why, so why would we not look at that from a pure business transactional, nothing ethical about it, forget all the fluff that people are putting out there. That's really the, what the front office is, is doing. And, and, 
you know, if it were your dollars, right, that you were, um, you know, whether you're going through a real estate transaction or buying a car or whatever it is, you would do the exact same thing on a much smaller scale. Um, and I think the, the the exciting thing about this is that this is the kind of maybe logical um, uh, transactional approach and not to devalue what the front office is doing, because I'm sure they're doing a, a lot more strategic things behind the scenes that we're not privy to. We're just sort of, we're just getting sort of the top level, but they're doing this uh, to represent the franchise the best, regardless of what some little small social media um, PR stunt that's happening uh, is saying about it. Yeah, it would be irresponsible not to. Um, and we were we would we would have expected in the past irresponsibility to occur. True. Yeah. And this yeah this front office is standing firm. Now, if you look at it from Andre Godala's perspective, which a lot of people in Memphis probably don't want to do. Um, he is using all the leverage he can to to do what's best in his eyes for himself. Um, so honestly, I am not surprised um, by anything that he's done. Um, it we can go back to the the tweet that I read earlier by Shams. Obviously, that was from his agent or somebody very close to him that fed that that particular verbiage um, in that tweet to uh, have a sort of lean towards uh, basically improving his leverage over the situation, uh, making it seem as if he is being like sort of the victim uh, in the scenario, um, which of course, as, as Memphis Memphians, we're just like, that is such <laughs> BS. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're getting yeah. paid $17 million and are not even having to play and you know there's obviously emotion behind my voice right now but at the end of the day if I were in Iggy's shoes I would have done probably the same thing if that's what I wanted to do if I wanted to play for yeah. a contender I would be begging for a buyout or demanding a trade in the best way and it's 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 worth it to note there are some players contracts and in, in some players contracts they can block trades uh, that they don't want and so in that sense they actually have the legal power Iggy does not have any sort of clause in his contract to block a trade. So this is all in good faith. Um, and he is trying to use um, public leverage while the front office has actual leverage in that they he is under contract with the Memphis Grizzlies organization. Um, and they yeah. are technically able to do whatever they want with his contract. Yeah, and so this is where the NBA is unique, right? So for you know listeners who follow, you know Major League Baseball, if you do, um, cool, uh, or the NFL or college sports, the NBA, right, is a is a as a players driven league. That's what makes it really fun, unique, interesting. It creates all these personas, personalities. A lot of that is driven just by the size of the team, but then it's also a lot of just the development that occurred under um, David Stern and different players and what really happened at um, sort of the collective bargaining agreement that occurred, um, you know, if you'll remember when there was um, a lockout, it was around that period of time around, I guess, you know, eight to nine years ago, um, I'm sort of estimating what that um, uh, period of time yeah, is. Well, you can fact check me on that. 2011. So yeah, good estimate. Um you know, it was sort of around college, so I couldn't really exactly remember. So, so it is 
it for a fan, like think of it in this way, like when you negotiate, you know, purchasing um, a home, which you know, maybe a lot of you have done or you're entering into, um, you would agree to maybe purchase a home. And like if certain things fell through, like if a termite inspection didn't um, pass or you agreed to have all of these things um, a part of the home, like, um, you know, a washer and dryer or appliances or different things like that. And you showed up and then they were gone. Well, that was part of your contract. And then technically you could get out of that sale if you didn't want the home anymore. Um, that analogy is, I think, a good one to think about in terms of what is happening with Iguodala right now, because that's not the case for his contract. They, he has a contract that says he gets $17 million and there's nothing in it that says that he has to do certain things to get that money. Right. Um, what, like what Will was just saying a second ago, there are a lot of other players that will say, you know, uh, I also don't want to play here. So like they have, maybe they're taking less money to sort of control their destiny, destiny and all those sorts of things. But the gap that I'm talking about is actually the issue that the owners have with the current sort of player empowerment era. There's no, there is uh, very little accountability that franchises and ownership can have because of what was negotiated historically. And this has been something that a lot of um, sort of uh, NBA pundits like Bill Simmons and different folks like that, that Will and I pay a lot of attention to have sort of um, debated very recently within the past year is like, has player empowerment gone too far for some of these things like with Anthony Davis or maybe even this Iguodala situation in, in a much smaller scale, maybe there's some things that should be implemented to control this. And I sort of wonder that only from, which we could really go deep into this later, but in a, is it preventing growth in the league? Because a lot of this buzz, this is like 3% of the story that's happening around trade deadline right now, but it's picking up so much steam because you look at it on the face and like this guy is getting paid $17 million to play golf and do nothing. Right. And to the average American, that's exceptionally frustrating. Yeah. Or world person, not even American. Right. And it, it's it that's the thing is there is nothing right now in the CBA that prevents Iguodala from getting paid if even if he doesn't do a thing. Um so which is I think what sort of what you were alluding to is that he does the even though it was a mutual agreement for him not to play, it is still frustrating if you think about the principle of the thing. Like <laughs> Yeah, his yeah. contract does not depend on him doing work. Um, so yeah, that that is an issue. Um, as we and I will say this one, can I say one thing too? Because I yeah. think Vernon made this point, and I'm just going to restate it. So if you don't listen to this to the mismatch on the Ringer, you should. Um, he and Kevin O'Connor really do a good run through of the whole NBA on Tuesdays and Fridays, I believe. Um, and his podcast today, they, they talk about this for about 15 minutes. And Berno's whole point and perspective was that the Grizzlies really realistically would have loved for Iguodala to show up this veteran, be the highest paid player on the team, really be like what Solo and Jay Crowder have been to John Jaron, um, probably still look to move him this peer, this this season. Um, and th at this period of time, just like they're sort of looking at John Solo in that way. Um, but like, come in and be a veteran, be like Vince Carter. Um, don't be like Iguodala 
right now, right? That's I mean, think of Vince Carter. He's 42, 43 years old and is in Atlanta, not making 17 million, but crushing it and being a great advocate and you know, mentor and all those sorts of things. And I think the the front office was maybe excited about that, but really quickly at the um, this is Berno's point was that Iggy's camp really quickly made it known that that was not the case and. And because the Grizzlies had just gotten off of Parsons' contract, which I think has been referenced even by Dylan last night, potentially as having issues within the locker room, um, they had cleaned those out, and that was the last thing that they wanted to do for this young team. And we're seeing the, the strategic dividends of that, right, by at least deciding to keep them off. So I do think there's some, um, you know, PR manipulation that's happening that we as fans have to sort of sift through to sort of understand what's happening, even though things aren't being really reported. That's a great point. And it's, it's actually is a great segue into the last thing I wanted to add before Brantley, if you wanted to talk a little bit at the, uh, to end this pod, we're going to try to keep it under, under half an hour uh, since it is just a letting <laughs> it fly and we're almost there. But John Hollinger earlier today tweeted um, out, if not traded, Iggy's camp needs to be a bit careful they don't burn bridges to the point he gets Ben Gordoned. Charlotte cut mm. Ben Gordon on May 2nd a few years ago, mere hours after playoff eligibility deadline, just to nuke his chances of signing with a playoff team. Um, and that just shows you, again, how the Grizzlies ultimately have the most leverage in that there is a deadline for uh, players to... Uh, to sign with a, a playoff team. And uh, the Grizzlies could very easily, if they don't trade Iguodala, keep him until after that deadline, then cut him, which would completely um, <laughs> render his hope to uh, join a contender useless. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's that for, for everybody. Uh, but Brantley, you want to take us home? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll just say this is, I think, um, my emotions on this whole thing as we sort of end is that, you know, what we're seeing, at least from a social perspective on the other side of the coin, is that um, I think for this entire season, you sort of, we've been moving this trajectory of like falling back in love with the franchise again. We sort of had like two to three years where we were, it was uncertain what was going to happen. And, um, we were maybe timid about like replacing the grit and grind. It was such a important time, I think for the city of Memphis and the franchise uh, personified um, what was happening in the city in a way that developed this deep connection that is really hard to articulate and tell from a story perspective outside of the city. I think when I have friends um, that aren't here that ask that, attempt to understand it. It just, you just can't connect to it because you're not here and you don't see it. And, you know, we've been sort of wondering if that was happening with this Grizz next gen and the way that they're sort of surrounding each other, the way that, I mean, honestly, I think that Dylan just may have justified his contract with that one statement. Mm. Um, that's all that Memphis fans need from you. They need an all heart grit grind type moment to then um, accept the 15% of your bad with the 85% of your good. Tony Allen was an um, exceptionally frustrating player to watch. He would miss layups time after time, but I never remember those moments. I remember his quotes. I remember his energy. I remember, um, obviously, his like first team all defense. I mean, he made up for those missed layups time and time again. And this is why we get so excited about what's happening um, and talking with you all about it is because we're starting to see this story develop where 
you've got these guys that are going to be here for a long, for hopefully a long time. And they're, they're connecting with the city and the city's kind of connecting back with them. And it's a fun time to be in Memphis and live here. So if you don't live in Memphis, maybe you should consider moving here. But if you're here, you sort of are starting to feel this buzz that's different um, than maybe what it did feel like this past summer where there was a lot of uncertainty about what was happening. So that's exciting. It's exciting for me as a Memphian and just to continue to play, see it play out regardless of what happens, if we make the playoffs or not. What a great way to end this first edition of Letting It Fly. Our plan is to be back with you on Thursday night after the trade deadline uh, to give our reactions and analysis. Uh, until then, for Brantley, I'm Will. Thanks for tuning in. Check it, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise.